This episode is brought to you by Cold Storage Coins, the easiest way to own Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The Altcoin Buzz podcast with your hosts, Alicia, Matt, and James. G'day, Alicia. Matt, how are you doing? How are you, James? Longest day of the year right now. That's a welcome relief after the winter we've had. And uh, I guess we're on opposite ends of the world as far as that goes, eh, James? Yeah, that's right. So if it's getting warmer up there, what is it, negative five degrees opposed to negative (laughs) ten? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, you take what you can get. <laughs> Our coldest day over here has been 15 degrees. I know a lot of people out there listening are probably a bit shocked going, 15 degrees isn't 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 cold, but uh, when you go from 53 degrees to 15, trust me, you can you can feel Ooh. the difference. We're getting a bit off traffic, and we're actually having a conversation about the bloody weather. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, we need to get back into it. But uh, look, soldiers of the Altcoin Army, we've actually got a pretty special guest coming on later on the show today. But before we do, we're going to go through the big news of the week. And we'll start with uh, Leisha's, Leisha's man. I know that she loves this guy. She writes more about him than he does about himself. John McAfee claims to have survived an assassination attempt. Leisha, take it away, because I know you're just dying to get into this one. No pun intended. Uh- Absolutely, James, if you say so, that I'm dying, that I must be dying indeed. And, uh, well, John McAfee, who is quite an omnipresent figure in the cryptocurrency world, as we know, he believes that some of his enemies attempted to poison him and uh, substantiate his claims. He posted a few pictures uh, from the from the hospital where he was, and it was in uh, North Carolina. And the tweet reads, I apologize for my three-day absence, but I was unconscious for two days at the Biden Medical Center in North Carolina and just woke up. My enemies probably managed uh, something that I ingested. However, I'm more difficult to kill than anyone can possibly imagine. And then he said like this uh, almost Terminator-like phrase, I'm back. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, he is apparently back, and together with his wife, he was showing middle fingers to all the enemies out there, to all the haters, so to speak. And well, I, I guess I can only say that it's great that he is alive. And then he also promised that you will soon understand the true meaning of rest. I know exactly who you are, and you will be gone. That sounds like a pretty serious threat. Sounds like it that? sounds like a man not to be messed with personally. But <laughs> no, no. The only question is, I mean, yes, that's how it sounds. But can we take him seriously? And that's uh, I'm I'm really beginning to to struggle when it comes to that with uh, Mr. McAfee. Um, ah, look, I've always kind of subscribed to some of his ideas. I, I like his points of view. He, I think, more previously, he's been accurate with his. Uh, his you know, like quantitative predictions recently, not so much, but in the past, he's been pretty good when it comes to stuff like this. I just, I don't know, especially, you know, your comments, I was thinking about them uh, from the last time, James, about how he's all about like, you know, stating something hyperbolic and just out there to draw. Yeah. He draws attention to himself that way. He kind of spotlight the spotlights, the issues that way. And with this, why would you come out and make these statements? Why would you post the the, the pictures? Obviously, he was in a hospital. I'm not denying Mm. that. But to come out and to have these vague accusations, and then, Alicia, you wrote about the fact that he hasn't commented on why he was attacked. He's not naming anybody, but it's just like he's... I don't know if it's like illusions of grandeur or something, but he thinks he's some kind of uh, movie star in this dramatic, you know, like, context and i don't know if i could take him seriously anymore i I don't know what to say that's i'm just really indecisive about this as as i'm reading it it doesn't make much sense what do you think james well one of america's presidents if i'm not mistaken obviously i'm australian but ronald reagan was he someone attempted on his life after watching that movie drive if i'm not mistaken and that ended up making him actually win the election or was one of the main reasons why he won. So he could be trying to replay things from the past that have worked for other people. Um, and, I mean, he's trying to go for the presidency in the next couple of years. So I, I don't know. He's such an anomaly. You never know which way he's going to go. He, You know, one day he's sitting there talking about eating his own penis. The next minute he's he's talking about how he's going to... Uh, He's going to take down all these people that have been trying to poison him. I actually heard that it might have been his wife trying to poison him. Um, I know that that rumor was circulated, whether that's right or wrong. Look, 
whether he was, you know, someone actually tempted on his life, he was in hospital. That's that's not deniable. He was in hospital. And I don't think anyone, whether you like him or you hate him, deserves to be poisoned or, or attempted murder to any, any, any form of degree. You know, that's it's just disgusting, banging out of order behaviour that shouldn't happen. But I don't know. Like you said about the the outlandishness, the grandeur, the I am the big I am that uh, John McAfee promotes himself to be. This could just be another form of advertisement, so to speak. Like the, there's no other way I can really put that. This is just another way to put himself in the headlines and get him at the forefront of people's minds. So. You might, you might dead be right there, but whether that was true or not, no one deserves to be poisoned. Oh, I think that should be the big thing about it. Yeah, I don't really know what to add here, but I do have to say that the moment I read this piece, I I instantly thought of those super hackers that he mentioned before. <laughs> but I, <laughs> it was just like, you know, it was an instant thought, and I imagined those super hackers finally trying to, like, poison him because they... You blew my him. cover! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was, I don't know, it was, uh, it was this kind of idea going through my head. And it's also, like, I don't, like, okay, I don't know what happened, just like you guys, but it's funny that he said that they assumed it wouldn't be found out, but what idiot would not believe that everything I say, think, do, or happens to me would not be recorded 24 hours a day? Duh! Well, mm. okay, but, uh, I don't know, did he record people going... Like around him and saying like, "Oh, we gotta poison John McAfee today." I, I just don't get it. It's to me, it's a little bit. To me, it's a little bit puzzling, and I guess that it might be some kind of a advertising trick, mm. which uh, which is unfortunately quite common, and people use it. And you know, because any publicity, even bad publicity, is good publicity, right? But maybe not for everyone, but. For some people, it might work in the end of the day. You never know. Well, that old, that old uh, annotation runs true. You know, out of sight, out of mind. He's definitely keeping in the minds of everybody. But, you know, we've got to keep the uh, the news short because we do have our guest waiting. So, Maddie, if you'd like to talk about the Ghost of Mount Gox, the article written by Chris Perotta. Yeah, so this one's from June 23rd. And uh, you have this Tokyo District Court that has basically come out with uh, this ruling. And I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts on the implications here. But the motion now has been made to end uh, Mount Gox's bankruptcy. So this is a ruling that is, is going to affect what's as far as their activity that they've been doing in these last few months because they've been selling a lot of Bitcoin, right? Like thousands of mm. Bitcoin, not thousands of dollars, thousands of Bitcoins at thousands of dollars each. And that goes back to December. They did it uh, in March. There was a particularly large sell-off in May as well. Um, so now that gives them this opportunity, I, I, I suppose, to, to claim bankruptcy, that's my understanding, or uh, to qualify with uh, with that particular categorization. So their legal team has come out and talked about how they're now in this form where they're looking to rehabilitate as an organization. And if all goes smoothly, there's a sense that, okay, if, if that goes well, then what we can now look at doing is repaying the creditors. So repaying the Mount Gox creditors, paying mm. down the debt. And I suppose the optimal goal is to do so in the form of Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. Um, I don't, I, I'm not uh, the most knowledgeable person about uh, Mount Gox. I haven't exactly been following it for years. But how realistic do you guys think it is? I mean, assuming they do, uh, they're able to achieve that status as, okay, like we have achieved bankruptcy in the in the eyes of the court, that's fine. Assuming that they're then able to rehabilitate according to their game plan, do you think it's realistic for the creditors to expect that repayment and to expect it in the form of crypto? Lisa, what, what do you, Licia, Sorry, I Americanized you there. What do you think about this? What are the uh, what are the the probabilities? Well, you know, the probability is always fifty fifty, either yes or no. But I guess that, like, you know, it's um, it's always hard to pay something back here. So I really don't uh, don't like have to say much because I cannot speculate. I don't know exactly the story to the fullest, and. Uh, Maybe James has more to say. My personal opinion isn't going to be one that's... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not going to be looked upon favourably. I think it's full of shit, to be honest. 
Um, the, my reason behind thinking like that was Mt. Gox, when you're talking about the thousands of Bitcoin, from memory, I believe they dropped 19,500 Bitcoin in a day was was where the first drop happened. I believe they had close to 100,000 or just over in like Bitcoin themselves, like over 100,000 Bitcoin altogether, and they were selling off. I, from, from what I heard the last time, there's a there's a very strong possibility they've got something like six, thir- between 30 or 60,000. And this is all speculative, but they've got potentially between 30 to 60,000 Bitcoin um, that they've got somewhere hidden. So with all that kind of news, wouldn't they have put more of an effort into trying to prove that they didn't have that? I, the fact that there was bugger all kind of investigation. Now, I don't know how well you guys have looked into the story, but it was real bugger all They've got, oh, look at our bank accounts. We don't have anything. Well, if someone to be able to pull off what they pulled off, they would have a backup somewhere. Uh, Like, you'd be stupid. Why would you go to all that effort and not put something away knowing that the market could, you know, they knew what they were doing. The market was going to drop. They knew that. The market went back up. They dropped again. Like, this is a game. This is all a game. And if they've got all of this Bitcoin, which is still worth thousands of dollars somewhere, and they haven't paid back... The creditors, why the hell would they do it now? Just why would they do it now? It makes no sense. This all just seems like bullshit to me personally, but I guess we'll have to wait for the story to unfold fully. Yeah, and I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but I have no idea why as a creditor you would have that expectation that that they're going to do the right thing and, and pay you back sort of as soon as the dust settles with this rehabilitation phase. They haven't exactly acted with the uh, the most scrupulous intentions in mind Ethics. so far. Yeah, they haven't demonstrated much of that, let's be honest. So for them to now come out of this to achieve this bankruptcy status, at least in the eyes of the, uh, the, the Tokyo court, if everything is successful, like best case scenario, are, are they going to rush uh, in order to achieve that as their next priority to pay back their creditors? I don't know. I'm not saying they won't, and I hope that they do, but I have no reason to believe that they will or that they'll prioritize that or even aim to work towards it. That's, uh, again, not trying to sound pessimistic, but I just don't see the evidence based on the track record. Technically speaking, they could pay five bucks a week and money currency is currency at the end of the day. Um, they could pay five bucks a week, and the court would have to accept it if that's all that they could pay. I, I think this is a this is a game. I think it's disgusting. I think it's a lack of ethics, a lack of morals. And uh, I, I, if I was one of the creditors, I wouldn't be holding your breath. Personally, I know that's a shitty thing to say, but a company that's done what they've done, why would you expect anything to just change? Because of, like, if if the best case scenario I see out of this is you'll get a fraction back enough to basically shut you up. And then it will just yeah. d- disappear. I think that will be the best case scenario. We'll pay just enough that people will be happy. They won't get the full amount, but they'll all bugger off at the end of the day. Uh, like I said, we just got to wait for the story to uh, to unfold. So, uh, Leisha, Matt, do you have any other comments to say? Otherwise, we'll uh, jump over to our guest. Bring on the guest. G'day, Derek Capo, CEO of TokenPay. How you going, mate? Awesome, awesome. Thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you being here. I'd like to introduce you to the Mad Dog Matthew and the lovely Leisha. Hey, Derek. How you doing today? Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So, uh, you're obviously calling from uh, from Florida over in the United States. What time is it over there at the moment? Uh, it's 10, 10 a.m. or so. 10 a.m. Jesus, I envy you. It's... Uh, it's 10.15 on the other side of the world, so we're a good 12 hours good twelve hours apart here, so you're starting your Saturday and I'm finishing mine. But uh, let's, yeah. let's, let's get stuck into some of these questions. I'm sure the, uh, the listeners are dying to know. We'd like to start off with some really easy, simple questions just to get the, uh, the old blood flowing. How did you get into crypto? What's your story behind that? Uh, actually, I kind of, kind of dabbled into crypto a long time ago. Uh, for some years ago, I had actually bought my first Bitcoin with two hundred dollars, but much of it, I was always very intrigued with the whole financial mechanism of it. I used to work at a hedge fund for about four years and saw, you know, kind of the old world more or less, since this uh, new concept that was happening. But I was so focused on the businesses that I was running in China at the time, and decided, you know, let let's see how this can. Uh, really kick up a notch and you know it took some time to really understand the technology but then full-time I went in 
sometime around um, late 2016, uh, early 2017. That's when I decided to just focus 100% on on crypto and, you know, go all in, as I like to say. Go balls deep. (laughs) I don't know if I can say that, but yeah, go, go all the way in. So when did you, uh, it, it kind of went a bit funny there at the beginning. Where, how, when did you buy into Bitcoin? What was the price? I believe it was about 200 and something dollars. It was a few Jeez. ago. It was around the time that I met, yeah, it was around the time that I met um, my wife. Um, so so you've got no excuse was... to forget your anniversary then? Uh, yeah, more, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm digging, you a, digging you a grave there with your missus there, mate, but... No, I, do, I tell you what, I do envy you. Uh, I started getting into crypto back in uh, back in 2017, 2018, about mid-year. So at that point, I think crypto, uh, Bitcoin was probably about what it is now, so, uh, especially over here in Australia. Got to love those exchange rates. So I envy 200 bucks, yeah. mate. I definitely envy 200 bucks. You must have been absolutely laughing back when it was the December hike around the 20 grand mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting. I mean, we had sold a little earlier, but... The, the concept of it going from even 200 bucks to even a few thousand was just amazing, right? Mm. Um, but uh, like anything, right? You, you always wish you could have bought more, <laughs> right? Hindsight's, a, hindsight's an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, Derek, tell us, for those of our listeners who don't know exactly what you do, tell us what is Token Pay? the app that you are basically behind is it somewhat like paypal because this is the kind of the impression i got but like a crypto paypal am i right or am i wrong no yeah yeah you're absolutely right uh but it's actually a lot more than that um i guess uh we'll kind of break this up into buckets so you have a really good understanding so we have the actual blockchain itself uh it's basically a you know faster better version of bitcoin with some privacy features um but then we have that as the blockchain, which is proof of stake. But then what we decided to do was have a, a whole ecosystem and have vertical integration so that when we have adoption, we can have the infrastructure in place to make it all happen. So some of the problems that we see with a lot of the cryptocurrencies out there and some of the blockchain projects out there is that they're what I call one trick ponies, which is they can only do one thing and one thing only. And they think that automatically people are just going to massively adopt it and I don't believe that's the case it's going to time and money and marketing just to make that happen so I feel like if we have a collection of different businesses together we can make it much more possible because one business eventually feeds off the other right so the first aspect of that is the bank right having a bank which we've announced that token face with AG has purchased 9.9 percent a bank with an option to buy up to 90 percent of that bank um, and that's to already start having that level of infrastructure, but also to transition from old world banking to new world banking. Then the next step to that is merchant services. So it'll allow merchants and people all over the world to accept and to start spending crypto through businesses all over the world. But of course, the big problem with merchants today is that even if they accept crypto, they will have to be able to convert it easily to, you know, US dollar, euro, whatever. And the bank basically will help with that. Right. So, you know, people still get paid in fiat, right? They still get paid in dollars and euros and Swiss francs. And you still need to have merchants um, have the ability to do that. Right. So yeah. over time, though, um, as merchants start to have more merchants and other, you know, customers or employees are willing to take instead of uh, U.S. dollars or euros, then eventually less and less will be needed to be converted. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next phase to that is more businesses to increase adoption and just consumption, right? So one of the things that we have is we purchase a, a stake in an online uh, gambling company called, um, uh, it's, it, we reda- renamed it, but it was called Token Gaming, that's what it is. And so it's an aggregator, so you have like a, you can basically start your own casino, uh, but the whole point is that you can start using crypto within the actual casino, right? So mm-hmm. then we have another website plan next year tokengig.com so that people can start earning crypto, right? So the biggest problem is that people are still not earning crypto as a, a kind of like a income, right? Mm. They're, they're only earning crypto by trading, right? Whether it's trading, mining, or staking their coins, which is within the ecosystem of crypto's realm, right? But in the real world, people are still not earning crypto per se. Um, so make a platform to make it easy 
everybody anywhere in the world to be able to earn crypto, right? So whether it's editing, you know, a document or creating a marketing strategy or whatever it is, they can they can start to do that. So we believe having strong partnerships and having an ecosystem makes it very possible for the adoption of our coin to happen, but also to weather a storm if there is one to other cryptos failing, right? Because if we have strong partners, we can help each other out. But at the same time, um, you know, this ecosystem is strong enough that, you know, even if other parts of crypto, you know, don't work out, it's okay. We still have this great ecosystem that can attract people uh, to, to the whole network that we're trying to build. Mm. Well, it's, it's an interesting business model, I must admit. It's like that it's so multi-level. It's, uh, it's really cool, actually. What do you think, Matt? I think an ecosystem is the key word there. That's a great way to uh, describe it. And uh, look, I, I'm not your uh, biographer, uh, Derek. I don't know your whole story, but it's really interesting just hearing about some of the experience that you've had. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we all had uh, four years, you know, like you said, James, 20, uh, 2020 hindsight, right? But four years in uh, in crypto, $200 Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> Might all be retiring at this point. <laughs> more or less, more or less. But, you know, I what, what kind of... Um, what struck me was you're talking about your businesses uh, in China, and yeah, I'm not asking you to describe them, but whatever you feel comfortable sharing. It just seems like you have you know, a, a very good perspective about crypto, having had experience in the space. You have some other peripheral experience that seems to tie in. And then your perspective, which I totally agree with as far as being able to uh, offer something pragmatic, uh, utilitarian for as far as the merchant services and being able to link that with, with the banks. I think... Uh, that that's where that ecosystem sort of descriptor came in, and it, yeah, it seems like it's uh, it's it's that um, overall sort of uh, objective that you're aiming for. It's a holistic thing, um, and uh, you know, I, I wish you uh, Godspeed and best of luck. I'm kind of wondering in this climate that we're in now, it's not the best, I suppose, for a lot of people and for ICOs. So we've gone through some difficult times. We're in a bit of a, a Red Sea situation at the moment. How has the market been treating your project since the ICO? And what are your thoughts on that, just more generally? How, how, do, you, uh, how do you look at the market? How do you look at um, you know, the current difficulties that we're going through with four plus years of experience? What's your perspective there? Hmm, that's interesting. So um, I'll go into the first part of your question. I think you want to know a little bit my background and peripheral, and then I'll go into kind of what my thoughts are of the current market. So my background is where I worked at a hedge fund for four years, right out of undergrad, and then after that I went to China, studied Chinese for about a year, and then I started a study abroad business. And what I learned from building a business in China was, you know, how to how to you know do marketing operations HR and stuff and it actually helped me prepare myself for the opportunities that we have today how to be able to grow a business scale it and be able to get people on board really quickly I mean the fact that we went from you know seven or eight people from our token sale to about 30 40 people within six months or so is pretty quick right considering mm -hmm. it's a lot of divisions that have all the plans and we're probably going to grow to maybe double that by the end of this year uh, depending on you know certain factors right um, so just want to mention that, you know, all of that experience, just like anything in life, all that experience eventually helps prepare, set up for what we're trying to build today and why we feel comfortable and confident that we can execute on a lot of our, our roadmap, if not more, that we've stated on roadmap on our token sale. In regards to the current market, uh, in regards to the current market, actually, we see this as an opportunity. We've actually um, bought back uh, some of our coin. Uh, at around 40 something thousand for 45,000 Satoshi. Um, we've actually bought this back for liquidity purposes, but we also saw that there's a tremendous value. We figured it's a smart, uh, smart move to do this. Um, so we're actually taking advantage of market conditions on the financial side, I guess. The other opportunity is we're starting to see a lot of projects uh, slowly die because of obviously market conditions and some developers and people that um, would have been in other projects. Um, are, no, are, so, are now starting to seek quality projects, so we're able to recruit better people. So I, I think people don't understand sometimes that whenever there's a down cycle, down market, usually the best uh, people get added to your team. And that's because those um, those amazing people, they want to go to the place they can feel safe, right? They feel like they can, they can weather a storm, why not go to a place or uh, a blue chip player, right? That can actually help them survive, right? For sure. Versus yeah. some, yeah, fly-by-night kind of 
you know, coin that, you know, probably has no real prospects, but, you know, they'll probably offer a lot more money, but, you know, who knows, right? How sustainable is that? So we're seeing this as an opportunity, not a, not a negative, uh, not a negative situation, actually. Mm. So I hope that answered all of your question. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, it's almost this counter instinctive action that you have to take for certain people, at least like it, it can be painful to make um, adjustments or to invest when the market is in a slump. But <laughs> asterisk, right? Not financial advice, but that's the name of the game. You want to buy low, you want to sell high. And from a business perspective, yeah, I totally agree with you. People flock to uh, where there is confidence and uh, where there is a, the potential for prosperity and growth. So there's always opportunity, whether you're an investor or whatever, there's always opportunity in a down market. And I think a lot of this market, I mean, I have a feeling that Licia is going to have a question about this, but there are a lot of security concerns that have factored into this market. So so I'll hand the ball over. I'm sure, uh, Alicia, you uh, you have a question to ask, I suspect. Yeah, I do. So, yeah, there <laughs> have been quite a lot of hacking incidents lately, and even Charlie Lee, uh, creator of uh, Litecoin, as James in his article pointed out, he tweeted that another, like, you know, this sad type of comment, uh, like, another day, another hack. And it's kind of the reality right now on the market. So, you know, I'm probably going to ask you, so what are you doing to avoid being hacked? And how is token play, uh, token play, sorry, where it's uh, the world's most secure coin, like you claim to be. Well, for, first of all, we're a proof-of-stake coin. It's very difficult to hack because it's not in a mining pool. So I think the ones that are getting um, there's several. If you notice, there's a consistency of several types of that are being hacked, right? They are coins that have a proof-of-work infrastructure, or the algorithm. So what's happening is the mining pools are being DDoS attacked. So that's what's causing some of the problems. The second ones are exchanges. And if you look at the exchanges, the ones that are being hacked, uh, or the coins that are being hacked from those exchanges are ERC-20 coins. They're usually not the traditional coins. Um, or their exchanges are using hot wallets and not using cold storage wallets, right? So what, what we have, our answer to that strategically when we actually decided to make our, our, our crypto or blockchain was to have proof of stake. Uh, that's number one. It's much more difficult to hack. Um, you would need to really purchase, actually physically purchase, uh, I think more than 30, if not 50 something percent of our coin, which would be in a very expensive adventure, right? And even if you did uh, decide to acquire more than 50 something percent and to control the network, your network would be dead and worth zero. So there's really no value, right? Mm. So um, there's really no incentive to do that. It would be an expensive incentive to do that, mm. right? Um, in regards to exchanges, actually, we do have an answer to that. We're actually working on a decentralized exchange called EFIN. Uh, it's a project that I had worked on before with my other, with my business partner uh, that was kind of like a stock grading website. So that's the website you see now. But we're actually going to launch in a few months a decentralized exchange, which basically means um, you have your coins, but you have your private key. And it's always going to be your private key, right? Whereas current exchanges, they they hold the private key on your behalf, right? You're you're signing off your rights um, and your basically power of of who controls or who owns this crypto to these exchanges right now. Whereas with the decentralized exchange, you have all full control. Meaning, if you lose your coins, it's also your fault, right? Mm. Um, but uh, there is a catch twenty two to do this. Um, the of a decentralized exchange is a little bit slower than a current centralized exchange. So if people are willing to give up speed for purchasing you know, digital assets, but increased level of security and ownership and control, then you, know, then you would want to join a decentralized exchange. So that's been our answer, and that's what our continued answer is. We believe in empowering uh, the people to have control of their assets and not uh, centralizing and getting it, giving it to somebody else so they can you know, uh, put themselves at risk of getting hacked or anything like that. So. Yeah, that's a good way out, to be honest. What do you yeah. think, James? Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I don't really know what to say. I think that you've you've really summed it up quite well. I think you've done it quite smart by doing the proof of stake the way that you have. And like you said, if someone, they'd have to physically go out and, and buy over 50% of the company, therefore making it pretty much worthless to them. It's it's a huge deterrent. Um, the decentralized exchanges, I believe they are a fantastic idea. Um, and I think for people that are serious about the technology and not just for the Lambos would appreciate the technology behind that. Unfortunately, the reason why these exchanges are so popular, the ones being hacked, 
is because mm-hmm. the green investors, the ones that are coming in that don't know much about it, that are that are dipping their toe in the water, when they go onto Google, pretty much they're bombarded with all the advertisements and that going, oh, go to Bittrex, go to Poniex, go to you know XYB, whatever. You know, it's uh, it's all all advertised towards them, and unfortunately, these hackers know exactly where to target. Um, I think you're doing a fantastic job by by making it more secure. Uh, and like you said, it's it's been a good venture for you. Going back a couple of questions when Maddie was talking about the ICO bit, uh, what you were saying about how getting all these people on board in regards to companies, it, remind, it, it reminds me very much of the John C. Maxwell quote, teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, it's going to take more than one person to push this through and to become adapted into into the real world, uh, so to speak. But you're making you're making great great moves, uh, and with the market going down, it is a storm. We are in the we're we're right in the in the rapids at the moment, and it's going to flush a lot of people out. So, like you said, you got a lot of good people coming on board because they may have gone over to whatever because of money reasons. They've gone well. That's going out the window because they're not strong enough to sustain. Let's go find something that's more stable. So this is this is training. This is bleeding before you go out to battle. Because the technology that's being developed now, it's not going to be perfected within the next couple of years. Surely, you know, you're a smart guy, you'd know that. So it's what would what would be your your kind of prediction on the on this being fully adapted by the world? Would you say give it maybe five five to ten years? Yeah, absolutely. I think that frame is all it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at the internet, right? Um, I, I kind of witnessed the dot-com bubble in the 90s. I was in high school right when that, that happened, and I saw um, how, how stocks got really cheap in the early 2000s. Um, you know, I had actually bought Apple in 2002, 2003, uh, before the iPod even came out, um, just on pure valuation. And, you know, I've seen kind of these cycles in regards to the market, but when you look at adoption itself, right, I mean, if you really look at the the power of the Internet really didn't really take off until the mid thousands especially when a smartphone came out yeah so yeah xp but i mean when you look at really the iphone and the smartphone when it came out that really got the internet to explode right because now you allowed people to easily for you know a few hundred dollars be able to access the internet and interact with applications that people would produce all over the world right and then you that would be easy to capture right i mean and, and it just it's just all a different world. And the internet's been around for what thirty years. And think about it, it took twenty uh, something years for it to really, really take off or um, take advantage, right? Um, I was mm-hmm. at a talk yesterday at a university, and I was explaining to people that one of the main reasons why a lot of uh, dot com companies uh, went bust is because most of the money that they received from um, IPO or their investors was actually put into servers. Every internet company back then had to buy their own servers, right? And now, I mean, now you can just use AWS, such as Amazon Web Services, and have a cloud infrastructure where you only pay for the traffic or the, the demand that you need. Mm. So it's much easier to start a company, right? And I think what's starting to happen with blockchain is because of Ethereum, it's much easier to start a blockchain. But at the same time, you know, you have to obviously be cognizant of what's the value, right? What's the actual use case? And I think what's going to start to happen is there is going to be a flush out of people who purchase crypto, but also a flush out of companies that are into the market. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have a really good solid projects that are going to continue to push the envelope and keep pushing. And then you're going to have some new ones that are going to come out as well. But those that come out are probably going to be better quality because people are going to be more skeptical of who they are and what they've uh, what they're promising, and and they're going to be you know much much more uh, uh, smarter about it right you've you've laid the foundation you've you've laid the foundation you know you've got to get to this level before you're even considered you know part of the same league that's correct that's correct yeah and and we believe in partnerships um so we we formed a partnership with verge um mainly because they have really good uh really good community the strongest communities out there um but also we're we're working on another partnership as well which uh we'll announce uh, in the next couple weeks um, that'll definitely, you know, definitely change the game in regards to how we work together. I think it's really rare to see um, crypto or blockchain projects actually combine and work together, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's extremely important to, to do that. Um, you know, it's just like anything, right? Apple has partnerships with with other companies, right? Mm-hmm. People don't sometimes realize that, but they do. 
you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, that's what makes or breaks some of these companies. So, um, you know, for me, it's all about partnerships, uh, making sure we have a good vision that we all agree on and then which we all do, which is mass adoption. And, you know, what kind of infrastructure we can each have that will help each other out. So that's the way we look at it. And now a quick word about our amazing sponsor, Cold Storage Coins. You can now store your cryptocurrencies on actual cold coins made of fine copper, silver, or gold. Each coin features a unique wallet ID and laser-etched private key, which is concealed beneath a tamper-evident holographic film. You simply scan the QR code on the back in order to transfer your funds to the coin. There's no hardware associated with these wallets, and they are hack and fireproof. This is a very fun, safe, and inexpensive way to store cryptocurrencies. Please visit coldstoragecoins.com for more and use our code BUZZ10, all capital letters, for a 10% discount. Now back to the podcast. Yeah. And it's funny that you uh, you bring up the partnership with Verge because I was going to ask you a question about that. Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I've probably got a lot of the Verge community hating me, but I, I, I can't help it just... Them partnering with Pornhub opened the door to so many puns. I just, I just couldn't help myself. And when the market was going down faster than some of those actresses in Pornhub, I'm sorry, I've got to stop now. Uh, it's just so easy to make jokes and, and make a bit of fun of them. But uh, the question I was going to ask you about Verge was, unfortunately, to their community, like you said, it is a large community, and I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. But it, it has been a, a big problem with Verge. They've suffered multiple hacks within the last, what, eight months, um, some up to 51% or, or whatever. Has that affected your your company, TokenPay, in any way, shape, or form? No. Uh, no, it has not. In fact, I talk to the developer all the time about what's going on and stuff like that, and obviously they have a big target on their back because of that deal. Um, I mean, they never had any hacks before, right? And all of a sudden they announced that deal and they're getting hacks all the time, right? Um, but I've been talking to the developer, they're redoing a brand new code base uh, that actually reduced the probability of those hacks happening. And, and you know, he's got a trump card as well. I mean, he, he publicly mentioned in Amsterdam, we, we did a whole meeting in Amsterdam, he publicly mentioned that, you know, somebody asked, is it possible that um, Verge can actually move to proof of stake? And he said that he would never make that decision on himself, but he would allow the community to make that decision if they wanted it. Right. Mm. So, you know, there are there are definitely a lot of possibilities. I mean, Ethereum is moving to proof of stake. I truly believe a lot more of the blockchains are going to start moving to proof of stake. Um, so there's a lot of options. Right. You have to keep in mind that software. I mean, this is at the end of the software and it gets upgraded every time. I mean, how many Windows and Mac updates do you get on your computer? I mean, probably once a month, maybe once every couple months. Right. So with blockchain, that's the case. You know, it's not going to forgive the fact that there are hacks, right? I mean, it's it's unfortunate to see that in the headline risk, right? But at the end of the day, it's not like um, it's not like it can't be solved, right? And there's mm. definitely a lot of options out there. And I think he's uh, he's working really hard, and uh, I think you know I respect that. But um, as it regards to our community, you no, know, it has not affected us. In fact, um, what we've done is with the Verge meetup, we've actually helped. Uh, introduced to a to a lot of the people at uh, at the Verge meetup that we had in Amsterdam, and if, if anything, it's actually um, seen that we are a, a very good catalyst for Verge to move to the next level, right? So one of the biggest, um, I guess, weaknesses that Verge had from the very beginning was that they didn't have this business mindset because they weren't really a business, right? Um, so they didn't have the infrastructure. I mean, they can get a, a merchant to accept their crypto, but at the end of the day, they wouldn't be able to help that merchant convert that crypto to fiat. Right? We have to figure that out. In the- uh, whereas right now, um, we can partner with Verge and go to a um, and say, hey, listen, you know, you can accept token pay and Verge. And by the way, token pay's infrastructure can help you convert all of uh, all of the Verge and token pay that you collect, so that you can pay your suppliers and your employees. Mm. And merchants are actually much more quickly able to accept that option than just purely one crypto only kind of option. So I, I don't foresee any other cryptos getting exclusive deals like that. I mean, I, I'll probably see maybe a few here and there, but I think that over see um, more of these merchant and merchant processing integrations with a lot of the companies because if uh, it's really difficult or really hard or very risky for a company to only accept one crypto, right? Mm. So, you know, Pornhub obviously made that decision because obviously it's a privacy coin and they like that feature and aspects of it. 
but you know over time you know they're also gonna have to look at other options and ways that they can you know convert some of that etc cetera, etc cetera. So, oh definitely considering uh, that they're only just walking into cryptocurrency now like you said you you, you went all in because you've had four years worth of experience you know Pornhub is is only just delved into it so one sure. foot one one foot at a time yeah, I mean, they've only integrated Verge in about five or six websites, and MindGeek has about 50. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to understand that every trend, the transactions of that are current crypto, percentage of those are actually for the real world use case, and how much of it is exchanges or, you know, just people trading, right? Mm-hmm. And for people like us who are, you know, leaders of blockchain projects, right, our goal is to get to make sure that the percentage of transactions that are occurring in the network are more and more for real world use case, right? So I would I would bet to say that 90 something percent of our transactions are just uh, transactions that are occurring between people or within exchanges and stuff like that and for speculation and that's not my motivation. Mm-hmm. My motivation is to get, you know, the percentage of transactions in our blockchain to be 10, 25, 30, 40 percent for real world use case, right? Whether it's sending money for people uh, to spend on goods and services or, you know, stuff like that. So it just takes time, it takes time to do that. And for them to have Pornhub, you know, they can safely say, okay, you know what, uh, a couple percent of our, of our transactions now are based on, you know, these services that MindGeek is offering, right? Mm. And then what that what that's also doing is attracting other companies. You know, some companies are not going to be attracted to that, but some companies are going to be attracted to uh, to the aspect that you know a company like MindGeek has decided to partner with Verge. So we see this as an opportunity, not a not a negative thing. So, so uh, Derek, obviously partnerships are a big deal for Token Pay, as they should be. We can we can recognize that that's a priority for your project. But you also have some other initiatives that are pretty interesting. So you have a debit card that you've introduced, the Blue Diamond debit card, and we're wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Um, how do you distinguish that from similar offerings by 10x? Monaco has something similar. So why is yours? better what can you tell us about the uh the blue diamond project um i don't want to say it's better um actually the features are very similar um the issue is not really a debit card it's can you have the whole vertical integration of the actual business so that a merchant can actually do all of the integrations and the people can do all of the integrations that are needed um you know all of these guys they actually have the debit card but they made a big mistake they actually started using they all use the same company to make it happen and then that company kind of had issues. Um, it was the Bank of Gibraltar, and it was called Wavecrest. And then when they had problems, their whole infrastructure fell apart. So I want to say the key differences is, is that us owning the bank basically makes it impossible for the infrastructure to fall apart because we are the bank, right? Mm. So that's number one. Number two, um, you know, we we see this as an opportunity that people like the fact that they have those cards, but we also see it that we can potentially, through our bank, create private label cards for them as well. So let's assume that maybe 10x or Monaco, you know, have problems with their partners or want to expand to other op- markets. They can go to our bank and say, "Hey, we'd like to have a debit card with you guys." And we're like, "Okay, well, it'll be a private label brand. We'll stick your logo on it, make sure it all works out, and then charge a fee on it, right?" So, you know, we see it as an opportunity. But to be honest, I lived uh, in China eight years, and I actually think debit cards are old technology. I think it's something that um, we offer because we know that there is people out there that still use it and there's a transition period. But living in China, I felt like I lived in the future and I actually came back and, you know, literally five, five years in, in the past. And um, I actually believe that debit cards are old technology that, would, that we are basically going to phase that out in five, ten years. Uh, and that's because I see everybody using their mobile phones and smartwatches, uh, basically able to make transactions. Right, without ever having to open a wallet and give somebody an actual card, right? Um, I saw that in China uh, with WeChat, right? I'm not sure have, how many of you have been to China, uh, but in, in in order to survive in China now, you cannot live without WeChat. WeChat is the, yeah. the messaging app, right? Yeah. Um, you're able to do everything on that thing: pay the taxi, book a cleaning lady, order your food, pay utility bills, pay off. Uh, any debits or you know debts that you have on your credit card, pay your mortgage. I mean, give people gifts. I mean, it's insane. It's gone to the point where um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's really impossible, again, impossible to live in China without it. So I see that as the future. I see that there's going to be a lot more people using their cell phones or smartwatches to be able to make transactions. Um, and I see that as uh, kind of the future. I just think that for now, we just have to have a transition period. People sometimes like the tangibility of having a card. I get that. So for us, you know, um, we just see that as a transition period, but something that people want. So we're offering yes. what people want. So. Mm. Oh, fair enough. You got to react to the market, right? And uh, sure. not that I, I certainly didn't spend eight years in China, but I lived there for a year and I, I, you know, a bit of a tangent here, but I totally agree. And it's funny, you have these, you know, societies that are perhaps catching up to the West in some ways, mm -hmm. but then as a consequence of that, they're leapfrogging the technologies that we're kind of, you know, like reaching a maturity phase with, and they're going to the next phase. And I had the same observation, just like everything is done off a of smartphone, finances, personal life, and mm -hmm. it's just... It's just like an indispensable tool. I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Reboot, but I, that's what I feel like the, the smartphone has evolved into like the the uh, the, the multi-tool on uh, on Bob's arm. You know, uh, it was a glitch, I forget whatever it was called, but just it, it's just like an all-purpose, like omnipotent little device that it does it all for you. There's part of me that worries about like the, the consolidation of like all of your information and the, the possibility of I don't know, foul play. That's just like whatever. The the paranoia may be setting in for me, but it's quite <laughs> incredible. Uh, yeah, the extent to which not only that exists, like that's number one, that's very impressive. But then you see how, how you know, just the extent to which it's been embraced in uh, developing societies like that, it's mm -hmm. really quite something. So. Well, I think what's interesting with that you mentioned, you know, kind of the government structure is that um, the difference, the reason why Tencent, which is the owner of WeChat, succeeded was because they were able to just copy any popular app out there and just put it into their ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's what made it even more and more popular. But I mean, they basically didn't get sued, or if they did, I mean, it was useless because China's structure for IP was just like out the window, right? So, like, if you had a cleaning lady app and it was a super popular app, people downloaded it and then they got wind of it that it was popular, guess what? Within no joke a month, like they would have it in their ecosystem as a button, you know, within their app. And then it was like game over for that other app company, right? So it, it was like a double-edged sword. If your app succeeded, chances were that WeChat would just take it, <laughs> you know? And they wouldn't buy you out like they do in the States, right? Like, like in Facebook, right? They just buy, they just pay a billion dollars for Instagram. Back then they thought they were idiots and now they're geniuses, right? But China just won't even buy them. They'll just take it. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the reality of, the, of how they operate, but they I, I were sort, able to get away with it. I, I sort of suspected it that probably it's like WeChat is somehow related to the government, right? Now it is. I mean, it wasn't yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, but still, like you know, they can like take over their initiative. Well, I I say I say this to everybody all the time, and I was talking to some university students yesterday. Um, you know, when I had my old business in China, part of, you know, part of the business, believe it or not, was me me taking some time and educating some of the kids that would come in because they were doing a study abroad and learning Chinese and you know the goal was to get them fluent in five or six months and stuff like that mm -hmm. but one of the things that I would talk about is I would say things like there you know the, the US media has a perception of China but it's because they have an invested interest to do that right the reality is is that you know China has their opinions and their problems that they have to worry about right mm -hmm. and I said imagine a meeting between you know uh, at that time was chairman Mao not Mao but uh, uh, what was the other one um, there was Xi Jinping. Yeah, Xi Jinping is the is the guy now, right? Yeah, so yeah. imagine 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 Xi Jinping and um and Mark Zuckerberg in a meeting room. And Mark Zuckerberg's in the meeting room and he's like, Oh, you know, I wanna have Facebook headquarters in China, I'm gonna hire a thousand of your best engineers ever, you know, and blah 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 blah. And, you know, I'm sure Xi Jinping's like, oh, that's great, Mr. Zuckerberg, but, you know, um, why would I want you in my country when I can copy what you guys are doing, have a local company do it, I can control them and censor my content, but I can also have 50,000 engineers, not a thousand. Yeah. Because I know you have tens of thousands of people in America, but I have a big problem. I need to employ one million university students every year. And if I can't solve that problem, then I'm going to have bigger problems on my plate, right? 
And, you know, that's why there's no YouTube. That's why, you know, to some extent, right? There's no YouTube. There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no, not all of these applications. It's, it's not so much because they want to censor. It's so much because why would they do that when they can do it themselves and hire more people and help their own economy? It's basically China's realizing that they have to work on their own ecosystem and not rely so much on foreign parties to basically help them, right? Um, just the same way that TokenPay has its own ecosystem, right? I'm not saying that we're like China. Let's be clear, okay? <laughs> uh, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is that when you have a very strong ecosystem, you know, it's very difficult to penetrate it and destroy it because it's so strong, um, and that's a, in, clearly important that needs to be, you know, distinguished here. It sounds a little bit like a, a form of protectionism to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you're starting to see worldwide a lot of this happening. You know, this is why you have, you know, a guy like Donald Trump being elected president. There is a little bit of, you know, some, you know, opinions and feelings about it. But there is a, a lot of protectionism and nationalism. And it started with the UK, actually, and with China. China, uh, when they elected their official um, through the Politburo, is basically he came in. He was very nationalistic. And then the UK party with the, the Brexit. I mean, that was also very nationalistic, right? And then you're starting to see that wave come in. Uh, I think at the end of the day, this is all cyclical. Um, I think that it's just a, a healthy check and balance in our world to have a little bit of this. But at the end of the day, you know, you still need to look at what's the right thing for the whole world, right? Mm. So, you know, eventually they're all going to have to settle settle down and, and, and talk about stuff. But they really have to kind of come together. And as long as there's no uh, World War Three, right, I think everybody's happy. I think that's what's what's important here. I think we've spoken about World War Three every time we've had, a, we've had our podcasts. <laughs> Talk about cyber wars from John McAfee, bloody Donald Trump and North Korea. You can't decide who's got a better haircut. You know, like it's, uh, it's. I think we've discussed World War Three so much on this uh, on this podcast. We've become desensitized to it. Yeah, you know, it's it's always funny because I always hear all the people talk about China and the U.S. And I say one thing: I says there's no way that China would ever do anything to the U.S. and vice versa. Their economies are so symbiotic right now that mm. it's just impossible the only way the only way that china would ever do anything would be is if less than 10 percent of their economy is reliant on the u.s consumer and it's not it's just not right now it still won't be for who knows a decade or more the key difference between what china has done versus what the u.s and potentially some other countries is they um never really spent a lot of money on their military they spent a lot of money on building infrastructure right mm. they spent money on buying natural resources whether it was buying you know mines in in australia right whether it was buying oil in brazil uh buying diamonds and other stuff in africa right in exchange for infrastructure to some of those countries right and and their thought process was well um we need to make sure that we keep one point something billion people fed and and stuff like that but we also have to make sure that we have enough uh uh, at least control in, in, in natural resources because that's really the, the important game right here, right? Mm. Uh, whereas some countries, you know, didn't do that. They let the, the businesses do that, right? So just a different uh, thought process of how to do things, right? So I, I just think long term, though, you know, if everybody kind of sits down at the table and realizes that they shouldn't be fighting each other, and then it's all good. Um, but, um, you know, we'll my, get there. We'll hopefully, we'll never have that problem. My, my theory, and I know it's a bit off topic, but... Uh, do you do you play video games at all by any chance, or have you have you seen any of the E3 things coming out? Do you? Uh... No, no, I haven't played video well, games in a while. Not because I don't want to. Uh, it's just I don't have <laughs> too time. busy. Well, my theory is that the reason everyone wants China and America to go to war is this this uh, this little game you may not have heard of called Fallout. Uh, it's just uh, something that Bethesda threw together a couple of years ago, and. That the prediction in, in Fallout is that in the year 2077, America and China go into a nuclear war and brings apocalyptic chaos and blah, blah. So we've got about 59 years before that happens. And I think people are just trying to speed up the process because they want to go out and kill zombies. So there's uh, <laughs> that could be the theory why everyone wants World War Three to happen so bad. Yeah. Maybe James. Maybe that's where John McAfee got the idea from, which is why he advertised that imminent cyber war. Because uh, I don't know whether Derek knows about it, but he, he's been talking about it, this imminent cyber war, especially coming from China, which is gonna cut down all the electricity in the U.S. Like you know, 
can't fall off the sky. We mentioned it in the previous episode, so mm. I don't know. What would you? Say? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really hope we never get to that point. Um, I think, uh, just like any, like in all history, I think information has always been, you know, transferred. I guess is the the more politically correct word between countries. Um, and I just think that if they they they're right now so symbiotic relationship wise, then I think if anybody does anything stupid, I mean, it'd just be dumb, right? So um, you know, I think. I think every country has to think, believe it or not, about what's right for them, what's right for their people, but also at the same time figure out what's what's the right partnerships and what's the right um, ecosystems that makes the whole world better. And you know, I think some stuff some stuff is too kumbaya for my taste, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, you just got to figure out how to sit down and make make uh, make it all happen so it works out. So the world's that's, so that's connected. It, that's my now. opinion. The world's yeah, so connected, connected now. Exactly, the internet has changed that game, mm. right? And I think that that's kind of the same power with blockchain, right? With with, um, you know, I, I always tell people like, um, people always say, ah, this blockchain is all bullshit and Bitcoin's all bullshit. It's all vaporware. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm just gonna tell you one word, one word only, and you'll maybe you'll understand. And if you don't, then obviously there's no point in having this conversation with you anymore. I'll say, mm, the country of Venezuela, right? And I'll say, look at that country where they've had um, really bad political structure, weak financial system, and all of a sudden people there are mining and accepting crypto and earning crypto and using crypto more and more on a daily basis. And what does that tell you? It tells you that now people have the power to have a choice. They have a choice to, to choose between their current financial system or their you know, currency versus Bitcoin. And that's extremely powerful. And imagine if you had 10 or 20 countries that are doing this, right? And it's possible, right? I mean, you're starting to see countries like Zimbabwe, right? I mean, a few years ago, if you guys don't remember, um, Cyprus basically had a bank run and all their banks shut down. Well, mm -hmm. the internet was still running. They could have used crypto, right? I mean, Greece has had problems as well, right? So if all of a sudden you have 5, 10, 15, 20 countries all of a sudden start to have these problems, right? Then crypto has just an amazing use case long term, right? So that's kind of why I believe that Bitcoin's going to be around for a while. I also believe that you know certain cryptos are going to be around for a while because it puts a lot of governments and financial systems in check, right? Are you doing the right thing for your people and for your country? And if the answer is yes, then your currency will still survive. If the answer is no, then uh, I'm sorry, but there's another alternative. Uh, mm. So you know you're on notice. It's funny that you so, mentioned that about the uh, the 20 countries. You're actually not far off. Um, We've, we've spoken about this, and I'll mention his name again. We've nearly done this every every episode, but uh, Mr. Bagarogo is a gentleman over in Uganda uh, who's running what's called the Gospel of Bitcoin, and what he earned off Bitcoin in 18 months equivalent to about a 10-year salary for him in a country that's where, where the average salary is $87.21 a year is, is the average salary. It's disgusting. Uh, we had an article that was written by Leisha on Kenya, um, Kenya's doing the same the same thing with Twigger. Um, Akon, the, the singer, he's currently gone over yeah. to the Republic of Senegal, creating a coin, uh, which is actually being backed by the president um, of Senegal uh, to create a crypto city where it's going to be run entirely on cryptocurrency. Uh, Venezuela, obviously, then you've got the Philippines, there's people in India. The article that was written, um, I've had people that have they've posted in the comments and they're saying, oh, this country's doing it, this country's doing it, and my country's doing it, and my country's doing it. A lot of the third world countries are starting to develop it either through Correct. mining or Correct. or they're just, like I said in the last podcast, these people have realized that the government and the banks aren't going to help them. They, they The banks and the, and the government are mainly all corrupt, and I don't care, I'll say it. They are corrupted because if they weren't, they would actually give a shit about their people who are starving to death. And these people have gone, stuff it, we're going to sort it out ourselves, we'll create, we'll get our own crypto, you know, we'll get the cryptocurrency, we'll get our own currency version going, we'll do the trade that way and we'll cut the, the big bank and the, and the government out because really, you know, what's, what's the point of staying with them when they don't give a shit about you? So I think yeah. that you're on the money. 20 countries isn't far off. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it just, it's just if you start to see that effect, I mean, it just... There's, you know, people, people always have this uh, ability to just deny or accept new information and they always are very skeptical and cynical and then when they realize that it's right, it's too late or 
they're behind the curve, right? Mm. So, um, but you know, um, you know, I can't really focus too much on what's going on about the world. Sometimes I got to focus on what we're doing, and then we'll go from there. Which, uh, which is a good point. We should probably get back on track. So, I'm, I'm just going to ask, uh, what are, what are some of the competitors, uh, and what are some of the competitors that you deal with in regards to privacy coins? And why is your technology better than theirs, or in the in the sense of say Zcash or Monero? Yeah, so I, I will look at it as um, you know different buckets of competitors, right? Um, the the first bucket is obviously the blockchain aspect. Um, I think the privacy features are actually pretty similar. A lot of the stuff that they're using and what we're using is open sourced in regards to dual key stealth addresses and stuff like that. The key differentiator obviously is that we're proof of stake right now and that's obviously mm. um, it attracts different type of people. The key differentiators and infrastructure that we're trying to build whereas we do. So that actually could potentially make that ecosystem weaker. Uh, the problem is that Monero has tied themselves to you know drug and the you know the drug market and you know, stuff like that and we don't want to be tied to that. Mm. Um, we want to be tied to a little bit more um, legitimate uh, type of transactions on our blockchain. Um, and then the second bucket I would probably look at is, you know, obviously competitors kind of like 10X, Monaco, and all those companies that want to do debit cards for crypto. Um, but again, having that ecosystem and infrastructure makes it, you know, all, all that more possible and a uh, lot more long-lasting. And then the third bucket would really be just payment providers like PayPal, stuff like that. Um, obviously, competition because, you know, they could easily just start accepting crypto. Obviously, it would make it more difficult, but there's still ways away from that. So we have definitely an opportunity to capture a good niche market and prove to the world that this can happen, right? Mm. But again, it's because we've got that. Um, And I guess the fourth really is banks, right? Um, The fact that we're kind of this uh, new kid in in the block, a new kid in town, right? And we're trying to say, listen, you know, the the whole banking infrastructure needs to change. And one of the solutions out there we don't know if it's the, the, the best one or the right one but we're going to try really hard to make sure it works out and you know um, some banks may not like it some banks will be like you know what this makes a lot of sense let's let's work together right or let's copy right I mean that's also very possible right you have to understand the competitors at the end of the day like to copy each other right especially if they see their customers run away right so um, I see us as those are the type of four types of competitions that we're going after um, but we really have to just focus on us, what, what, what makes us different, what makes us better, keep on increasing that ecosystem, making it stronger, and eventually everything else will take care of itself. I'm, I don't have a whole lot um, to add at the moment, but I'm just wondering, uh, Derek, you know, like for the, the sake of our listeners, is there a particular way, like how do you suggest they reach out to you or learn more about the project, get involved with what it is that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way is actually to um, find me on Twitter, find our, our at TokenPay or at Derek Capo. But also you can email us at team at tokenpay.com. Uh, so you can send us an email about what opportunities or what ways we can work together. We'll eventually have a new website up and we'll have a bunch of job positions out there so you can apply for those. Uh, I actually have a very extensive interview process. It's about five or six steps. I really, really take HR really seriously because I want to make sure I, f- I find the best people to work with us. So, yeah, those are the best ways to reach us. Well, look, it's been fantastic having you on the show, Derek. Uh, is there any last-minute things you'd like to add? Uh, any exclusive details, some juicy details you'd like to throw our way? Uh, no, I really can't say too much for legal reasons. All, all I can say is uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we basically announce a few things here and there, any progress updates that we have. Um I mean, we do have a few big announcements that we do plan on announcing within a few weeks, maybe a month or so. Uh, just, you know, we have to be very cautious about what we say and how we say certain things. So just just follow us on Twitter and you'll be informed there. Join our Telegram. Uh, that's a good way to actually see what's going on. And I always participate in Telegram chats and say what's up and talk to the people there all the time. So mm. um, we're very open and very um, transparent with everything that we do. So looking forward to having you join us all right well it's been absolutely great having you on the show you've uh, you, you're a man of uh, of, ma- of many many knowledge and i can't speak english <laughs> <laughs> so no it's it's been great having you on the show i've learned a lot yeah uh, don't mind me it's 11 o'clock over here so if my eyeballs are half hanging out my head at this point so. yeah but it was great having you on the show
Awesome. Thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate the opportunity and hope to uh, maybe we'll catch up in a few months and uh, see how everything is going, okay? Definitely. Thanks Definitely. so much, Derek. Alright guys, well that's it for the uh, the episode today. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. You can find our podcast uploaded every Monday and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as our website, altcoinbuzz.io. We'd love to hear what you think of the show, so please do us a favor, leave us a comment and a review down below. Look, for more information about the news we just discussed, head over to our website, altcoinbuzz.io, where we publish all the latest news to keep you in the loop. And uh, Maddie does an absolutely fantastic job on YouTube, so you can catch him on there as well. So again, from all the team here at Altcoin Buzz Podcast, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>The information discussed on the Altcoin Buzz YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Ladies YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Podcast, or other social media channels, including but not limited to Twitter, Telegram chats, Instagram, Facebook, website, etc., is not financial advice. This information is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Any information and advice or investment strategies are thoughts and opinions only relevant to accepted levels of risk tolerance of the writer, reviewer, or narrator, and their risk tolerance may be different than yours. We are not responsible for your losses. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are high-risk investments, so please do your due diligence and consult a financial advisor before acting on any information provided. Copyright Altcoin Buzz, PTE Limited, all rights reserved.